0: You know, folks, uh, we're, we're continuing today our series, The Lamb of Wall Street. And you know, there is tremendous power in having hope, isn't there? there there's power, there's physical strength in looking forward to something. I know this by experience. I trust that, that you do too. It's a good thing when we have something to look forward to. It puts a spring in our step, p- puts hope in our heart. It can get us through a tough spot it can get us through a, a bad day, keeps us from quitting, keeps us moving forward. I think it's a blessing to have things to look forward to. They don't have to be big things, anything. Yeah, you can be looking forward to big things, small things. I look forward to all kinds of things and think of them all as blessings. I look forward to track meets. Fortunately, my boys give me plenty to look forward to between cross country in the fall, indoor track meets in the winter, outdoor track meets in the, in the spring. I have almost every week something to look forward to, but you know what? I do. I I mean, come Monday, I'm thinking, where are we going this week? And the bigger the meet, the more, the more excited I am, the more I'm looking forward to it. Man, I I can think about that every day, all day during a week. You know, I look forward to going to Israel here pretty soon with my my wife, Karen, for 10 days. Uh, This church family so graciously, generously gave us that as a a gift on the occasion of my 10-year anniversary here. It's hard to believe that was almost a year and a half ago. Some of y'all asked, are y'all ever going on that trip? Yes! This month we're going to Israel. Going to be alone together for 10 days. We were talking the other day, I think, since we started this whole, you know, having children thing in 1991 we can only think of a couple of times we've been alone together for two nights 10 days I I don't even know what I'm gonna do with 10 days but I'm looking forward to it 10 days with Karen in the holy land uh you know what we look forward to some of y'all reach this stage in life we look forward to when our girls come home one already graduated and married off. The other still at school. But, you know, when they come home, it just fills the house. And there's, there's joy, excitement when I hear one of them, both of them is coming home, uh, you know, for a particular weekend. I mean, all week long, I'm, I'm going to think about that. All week long, I'm looking forward to that. It's, it's fun to have something to look forward to, isn't it? Man, I hope you have something to look forward to. Maybe it's something going on in your life, a family event, something's happening soon. Maybe it's something at work, something big going on. Your boss is being transferred to the other side of the world. Uh, You you know, who knows? (laughs) Oh, okay, it's your boss. (laughs) Uh, Gosh, maybe after this winter, you're already looking forward to that beach vacation. That I can't imagine looking forward to the beach, but I understand some of you, some of you do that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a good thing to have something to look forward to. You know, folks, nobody knows us better than God. And it's not just that he's watched us and really knows us and what we're like. He designed us. He, he knows how the machine works. And so, you know what? He knows our soul needs hope. He, he knows our soul needs something to look forward to. And again, I'm not talking about some big, huge spiritual... Anything. Something to look forward to. And that's why God has given us the greatest thing of all to look forward to. The biggest thing of all. The most incredible thing of all. And you know what? What He gives us to look forward to is so powerful that it can literally enable us to endure suffering. I'm not talking about enduring a bad day beach vacation coming in a couple of weeks can endure a bad day. I'm talking about enduring pain and suffering. He's given us something so powerful to look forward to. It can give us joy, a sense of peace, a sense that everything's okay no matter what circumstance that we're in the middle of. In a whole other direction, what He gives us to look forward to is so powerful, it will empower us to choose right, When choosing wrong would be a lot more fun, a lot easier, maybe more profitable. Folks, God's given us something incredible to look forward to. And shockingly, I think I can almost say most Christians do not avail themselves of this hope. Most of us do not look forward to it. And the it that I am referring to is heaven. Heaven. Now that's a big statement for me to say, and yes, I did just say it, you don't look forward to heaven. I would almost imagine there would be kind of a a unanimous agreement across the room. Hey, that's not right. You can't say I don't look forward to heaven. I, I do too. As a matter of fact, if I was sitting out there with you, I would disagree with me right now. So since we all disagree with me, well, let me fight back a little bit. If you so much look forward to heaven, then here's my question for you. How much do you think about it? When's the, do you even remember the last time you spent any kind of significant moment thinking about heaven? You see, folks, when I say that I'm looking forward to attract me, I mean that, and the evidence of it is I, I think about it. I, I, I think about it on Monday. Boy, once, once I get past Wednesday, then I'm really honed in on, okay, what's the schedule? What are we going to do? What are the boys going to be doing? What's their expectations? What's my? I mean, I'm thinking about it. That's what I mean when I say I'm looking forward to something. I'm thinking about it. That's usually what looking forward to something means, doesn't it? So how can we say we're looking forward to heaven if we rarely, if ever, think about it? As a matter of fact, I would dare say most of the time that we're thinking about it is if maybe we're involved with a death at the moment. You know, a friend, a family member. We, you know, we're, 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 it, Death is nearby. And obviously, heaven is our big hope when we're walking through death. I love that passage in First Thessalonians 4 that says we grieve, but we grieve with hope. We have that hope of heaven as we go through this hurt. But folks, God didn't just give us heaven to have a hope when we're hurting. It's hope for the living. It's hope for right now. So how can we say we're hoping in it if we're not even thinking about it? Folks, heaven's not a hope. Heaven's not a great hope. Heaven is the hope. And I would dare say for most of us, there's a list of things we're looking forward to right now. There's a list of things we hope are going to happen this week, this month, this year. Man, I hope, I hope this is going to happen. Heaven's way down that list if we even think to put it on the list. Now, I think, I think there's some reasons why that happens to us. As a matter of fact, I, I think we do look forward to heaven. But I think we look forward to the first day of heaven. You know, we look forward to walking into heaven. I mean, there's, there's Jesus. There's the streets of gold. There, there's the family and friends. I've been looking forward to seeing when I die. I mean, we look forward to that. We think about that great moment. But there's some very common misconceptions about heaven that are largely uninspiring. And I think that plays a part in why we, we don't think about it. Why we don't hope in it. For instance, what do we do in heaven? I think a lot of people have the idea that heaven's just kind of like an eternal church service. Gosh, that's kind of uninspiring, isn't it? 5,000 years of announcements. Then we go to Dale for like 75,000 years. You sing and you never get to sit, ever. You just sing for 75,000. And then I get up. I got a 250,000 year sermon. And when we're all done with that, we start the whole thing over again. I mean, folks, when you think about a lot of people's experience with a church service, the idea is, this, is, is, this, is this what we do forever and ever? That's not very inspiring. Or, or maybe we think, you know, I, I think when you go to heaven, you turn into a little fat baby angel and you play a harp on the cloud. You get my own cloud. And I'll... I'll be honest with you, folks, if that's what heaven is, I find that highly uninspiring. That, that would not get me through a bad day, the thought of sitting on a cloud and playing a harp. But but this is the way a lot of people look at heaven. And there's other ways. And the amazing, none of that's said in Scripture. I think I can almost step out on a limb and say, you know things about heaven that are nowhere found in the Bible. No telling where you got it. TV, Hallmark card. All kinds of places we get these ideas about heaven. And that's why we really do need to understand what Scripture says about heaven. Highly recommend a book, very simply titled, you can remember this one, Heaven. By Randy Alcorn. And you don't even have to remember that simple title. If you look on the back of your bulletin under Faith Talk, number one, I've got that written out for you. Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Does a very in-depth study. Does a long study of what Scripture says. Tell you about what happens to pets. That's a huge theological question, isn't it? Uh, But it answers things in there. Shows us what Scripture teaches. Folks, showing you and me, we live very productive. Productive. We produce. We live productive, meaningful, fulfilling, satisfying lives in eternity. And and, and he, he shows us that, hey, that's inspiring. Hey, this is something to look forward to. Now, I think Jesus shares another reason. I think Jesus shares another reason with us about why we may not be looking forward to heaven a lot, may not be thinking. Maybe that's a better way to say it. We're just not thinking about heaven a lot. Let's see what Jesus says about that. Turn with me today to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew. First book in the New Testament. That means the last book in the Old Testament's to the left of it in Malachi. Mark and Luke to the right. That's the neighborhood you're aiming for if you're thumbing through there. Or you can get out your smartphone and Dial up your Bible app and find Matthew 6. Or you can get it out and play Dots or Temple Run and everybody will think you're reading the Bible. Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 19 there. Matthew 6, 19. It says there, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not destroy. ...break in and steal. For where your treasure is... ...that's where your heart is going to be also. Did you see that coming? A little bit of a curveball, Man, we're talking about heaven. We're talking about hope. What now? How did money get in here? But Jesus seems to be giving this principle. Now, the context of the passage... ...is not talking about heaven and hope... in, ...in the vein that I've been talking about it here... ...the last few moments. But there's a principle that Jesus gives... That says, hey, listen, at the end of the day, you and I focus on what, our, on what money is doing for us. We focus on where our money is going. And so if we've got all of our money here, then our focus is on here. Our hopes are here. The, the things we're looking forward to are here. If we're hoping in heaven, more likely it's because we've stored up treasure there. Our heart follows our money. Man, I've seen a tremendous illustration of this in my life. I don't know if you all know. Did you all know I went to Texas A&M? Okay, so I have mentioned that. I thought I'd mentioned it. I knew it had been like six or seven years since I'd mentioned that. Yeah, Maroon runs pretty deep in me. As a matter of fact, it runs pretty deep in, in, in our whole family. I, I have two sisters. They both graduated from A&M. One of, the, one of them married an Aggie, so there, there's another brother-in-law. Of course, my wife Karen graduated from AM. That was the whoop you just heard a second ago. It's something Aggies say. I apologize. Uh, Karen graduated from AM. She has four siblings. Three of them graduated from AM. So Maroon runs through our family. But we have learned in the last couple of years that we are okay with mixing orange with maroon now you know in virginia you get that folks let me tell you something in the great state of texas you do not mix orange with maroon orange belongs to another school that we will not mention because we love the lord and we're in worship In Texas, we would never mix maroon and orange. But here we are now. I've got clothing that has both of those colors on it. Why is that? Well, "Well, because your your daughters went there. that's, That's what made you... Well, sure, that's been a big part of it. But I think Jesus has something to say here. He might say, you know, Randy, maybe the reason you've mixed maroon and orange is because you've sent tens of thousands of dollars there the last several years. Because your heart, your affections, your interests, your desires always follow your money. And believe me, I have sent enough money there to become a Hokey fan. It works. What Jesus is saying is absolutely true. You know what's interesting? When he says this, your, your, your money follows your heart. You know, I'm reading that and I'm thinking now, is Jesus applauding that reality or is he condemning that reality? And I'm reading, I'm thinking, you know, I guess it doesn't really matter. He's not applauding or condemning this. It's just reality. Wherever your money goes, your heart's in tow. Your focus, your interest, your hope, what you look forward to is going to follow your money. Now, even under biblical financial principles, man, I I know what God says about caring for a family, about debt, about savings, about giving. I know what God, even when you're living under biblical financial principles, guess what? A lot of the money gets invested here. A lot of the money stays here on this earth. But I think as I look at Jesus' principle, I start looking at what's the tipping point? What is the tipping point when it's too much? When we, when we start talking about 92%, 95%, 98%, the IRS says the average contribution giving of an American is less than 2%. 98% of what I have, of the treasure, is staying here. Well, folks, ultimately what that means then, again, I don't know quite what the tipping point is, but we reach a place where pretty much everything I have is being invested in that which ends up in a landfill or a grave. Well, what kind of hope can we draw from that? What kind of permanent hope, what kind of permanent strength can we draw when we're investing everything in that which rots and dies? Now, this scripture is not saying you and I can't enjoy anything on this earth. It's not saying we can't have a house, a car, clothes, and and do the things that that we do here on this earth. But I think what Jesus is challenging is not every dime, not every single penny. You see, it's for our well-being. He says, hey, listen, you need to be storing some of this stuff up in heaven or else you're going to end up storing it all here. Which means every part of your heart is in that which breaks, that which rots, that which dies. Hey, there's more hope than this. And he directs us to heaven with a side benefit of hope that lasts forever. So Jesus says to us, excuse me, does a little more than says. He actually commands. Maybe we should just stop right there and think about that. Jesus, the guy we call our Savior, the guy we call our King, the guy we call God, Lord, the the guy we're trusting our lives with... He commands that we store up treasure in heaven. What are we doing with that command? What, what do we do when this one we love so much, this one we trust so much, says that to us? Now, he says, store up treasure in heaven. That leads to two, two questions. How much treasure does it matter? And how? I mean, is there an envelope for this? How do you, how do you send treasure to heaven. Now let's think about the how. Let's just think real simply. Jesus uses the word treasure. If you still have your Bible open, look at verse twenty-four. We saw this. This is what we studied last week. You cannot serve God and. Yeah. Okay. Was anybody here last week? Seven mile. Let's try that again, because I'm really. I'm, I, y'all, are, I, I tricked you. Okay. So this is not a trick. You cannot serve God and. There we go. We got it. So does Jesus know the word money? Yes, okay. Does Jesus use the word money? Does he use it in the very conversation we're looking at? Yes, but in verse 21, he did not use the word money. He used the word treasure. Now, how much is a treasure? I'm guessing if you're sitting here today and you've got $5 in your wallet, $5 in your purse, you're probably not calling anybody this afternoon and saying, man, I've got a treasure. I've got a treasure in my wallet right now. Unless you're four. Now, if you're four and you got a crisp, clean $5 bill, man, you got the world by the tail, don't you? I mean, that'll do it. But if you're anywhere north of the age of four, you probably don't look at a $5 bill anymore as a treasure. No, when we say the word treasure, when Jesus says the word treasure, it just automatically kind of assumes something of real value, right? Right? Something of substance, something that's precious, something that is significant. Well, just take all those synonyms and put that in the verse. Store up for yourselves something of value, something of substance, something of significance in heaven. Maybe another way of looking at how much is a treasure is just you decide and you answer this question. How much of your treasure do you want to rot and how much of your treasure do you want to last forever? I mean, folks, it really is as simple and as easy as that. You, you could just write that sentence right out next to that. How much do I, of, my, of what I have do I want to rot? And how much of it do I want to last forever? It's just that easy. I, except that it's, it's, it's not that easy. And it's not that easy for two reasons. First of all, the stuff that I keep talking about that's going to rot. Well, before it rots, we do enjoy it, Right? I mean, before it gets to the landfill, it does enrich life, empower life, make some things easier, make some things more fun. A lot of this stuff that we'll end up not having anymore, throwing away, selling in a garage sale, it it did serve its purpose. And we liked the purpose it served. But then there's another reason that it's not so easy as just to say, what do you want to last forever and what do you want to rot? It's that last forever part. Store up treasure in heaven? What does that even mean? What is treasure in heaven? Do I need treasure in heaven? Do I want treasure in heaven? We're all, I imagine, going to store up different amounts of treasure in heaven. Is that going to be obvious when we get to heaven? Are some people going to have more treasure than others? Am I going to care about Do you know what? I can't answer any of these questions. I have no idea what verse anybody would go to, to answer the question, what do you do with treasure in heaven? Jesus, God, does not tell us. All he says is, Randy, you want to store up treasure in heaven? So it just comes down to this. Do I trust him? I don't know why he said it. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. But he said, Randy, you want to store up treasure in heaven? Do I, do you, do we trust Jesus' words? <laughs> Can you imagine getting to heaven and go, Oh, you meant it. <laughs> what does Jesus say to that? Uh, yeah, I meant it. Well, gosh, I just wish you would have told... Oh, never mind. Do we trust him? Now, the other question is, How? Okay, I trust him. He says, store up treasure, and I'm going to start. I'm going to start today. What do I do? Three things real quickly, biblical, all of them straight out of Scripture. I encourage you to write down the verses. Read them for yourself. Don't trust me. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but I'll say it anyway. Don't trust me. Go to God's Word. Let God's Word say what it's saying there. What does it say? How do we store up treasure in heaven? First of all, give to God what he requires. Jesus says that in Matthew. I referred to that last week. Jesus said, "Give to God what is required of God." Now, to answer that question, to do that, you have to answer the question: well, What does God require? What belongs to God? There is no possible way to answer that question without one word. The standard all through Scripture that is given of what belongs to God is the word tithe. It means ten percent of our income. And when we tithe, we give it to a very specific place. We give it to the local church. There are a lot of ministries outside the local church, and I'm going to mention them in a moment. But the tithe, the 10%, goes to the local church, and it goes to, according to Malachi 3, the general budget. Now, you're going to be reading Malachi 3. I don't see general budget in there. No, but what does it say to give the tithe to? Give the tithe to the storehouse. What's the storehouse? That is the place you store all the resources for the running of the temple. So, in essence, it's, hey, you give the 10% to the running, the funding of the work of the local church. That's where the tithe goes. Now, actually, my goal in pointing to this is not to explain all that. It's what Malachi 3 goes on to say. It says, to not give the tithe is to rob God. Now, we're saying, hey, my goal is to store treasure in heaven. Heaven is God's house, right? You ever refer to that as God's house? Can I store treasure in heaven... Store treasure in God's house while at the same time I'm robbing God. Can can I come to your house, take things when you're not there, siphon gas out of your car at night, steal from your wallet, steal from your purse, and then take all that I get and then say, hey, could I store this in one of your rooms? I want to have it there for when I'm ready to come get it. Can can I store treasure in God's house while at the same time robbing him? I mean, the answer would be, I mean, we all get that. The answer would be no, right? Right. We can't do that. So if I'm going to store up treasure in heaven, I need to start by giving to God what belongs to God. Second way we store treasure in heaven is to give to the poor and those in need. Man, this is throughout Scripture, over and over, hundreds Literally hundreds of verses on how much God is blessed, on how much God commands. Starting here in the church family, we're to care for one another, provide for one another, and then we are to help those that we see in need. These two passages, this Proverbs 19.17, it's an awkward passage to me. It just sounds strange the way it's written. Proverbs 19.17 says, when you give to the poor, you lend to God. Kind of strange. I'm lending something to God like God wanted to give to him, but he, I don't have a 20 on me, do you? <laughs> I mean, God has no need, and yet Proverbs says when you give to the poor, you're lending to God, and then it concludes by saying this, and God repays. You know, the disciples are talking with Jesus one day, and they're kind of focused on how much they've given up to follow him. You know, and that's, that in itself is almost silly. They're telling Jesus how much they've given up as he's on his way to the cross. Hmm. But hey, hey, you know, Lord, we've, we you know, don't do this anymore and we're not able to have this and we we can't do this. We, I mean, we've given up a lot to follow you, Lord. And I, honestly, if I think if I'm Jesus, I would have said, you're kidding me. And then I would have scolded him or something. But you know what Jesus says to him? He says, hey guys, I know you've given up a lot, but I want you to tell us something. You haven't given up anything that my father's not gonna return to you a hundred times over. Now, a lot of times you'll hear some of our more health and wealth type theology. Uh, our, our televangelists kind of use that, you know, to say, give, give the dollar to me and God will make you rich. God will, God will return it a hundred times over. You, you know, there's a principle there that is true, I think, that gets abused a lot by, by preachers, by churches, by the folks on TV. But whether that's been abused or not, the principle is still true. When you're giving to God to help those in need, he's going to return it a hundred times over. When you're given to God to serve the work of God, he's going to return it a hundred times over. Now, where the question is, is where does it get returned? And I'm not suggesting it can't get returned or some of it doesn't get returned here on this earth for my use on this earth. But would God not be doing me a better favor? If, you know, if I give a dollar and he's going to return a hundred to me, maybe he sends $17 here to earth, but he sends 83 over to my treasure in heaven. Here's $17 you're going to throw away very quickly. Here's $83 that will last forever and ever and ever. Wouldn't God be kinder and wiser and better for me if he kept it up there in heaven? See, it's going to get returned. Now now we're back to do I trust him to do that. It says he repays. But folks, we don't give anything that's not returned a hundred times over. Somewhere at some time on this earth or in heaven. Okay, the next one. When you use money to serve God. They say, well, isn't that... Aren't you just repeating yourself? Isn't that what number one and number two were about, serving God? Well, yeah, but I, I needed to add some other stuff, and that's the best phrase I could come up with. When we're serving God with what? Okay, I talked about giving the tithe to the local church, but then there's, there's even things that go on in the local church beyond the general budget. There's, there's missions, and there's different opportunities. There's a lot of ministries outside the church Very important ministries. I think ministries the church relies on. They do a better job than we do. We partner with ministries outside of the church that we think, hey, you're better at this than we are. So let us come alongside you and and support you. So when you're giving to, to ministries outside the church. And then I've talked obviously a lot about giving to the poor. But folks, when you're giving to bless, they may not be in need and they may not be in poor. But that gets stored up in heaven. Now, I'm not talking about just giving somebody a birthday present or you give to somebody because they gave something to you. But I'm talking about when you're reading God's word and you feel... Man, God's word really wants me to be appreciative of people and encouraging people and, and and blessing people. Well, I've got these resources. Hey, Lord, how can I bless that person? How can I show that person how much uh, they mean to me, or or just encourage them? When I'm using resources in that way, that gets stored in heaven. You say, no, you're making that up. How do you know that? I'm glad you asked. Let me prove it. First Timothy chapter six. As for the rich, okay, let me stop right there. You're rich. I would imagine a lot of us in here would resist that title because, first of all, we see TV and we see Hollywood and we see Fifth Avenue and we say, that's rich. Yeah, most of us in here are miles of financial distance away from what America calls rich. And I would imagine in this room right now are some people that are barely making it from one paycheck to the next. There may be some in financial crisis and it is yes to even you, I would say, you are rich, You are rich in what you already have. You're rich in the opportunity that is still in front of you. I've had a chance to travel the world. I've had a lot of chance to read statistics. And folks, you and I live better than about 94% of the people that are alive today on planet Earth. So if you're in the top 6%, then there's no other way to look at you as anything but rich. So this passage applies to you. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, because we do get a little pumped up with the more money we have. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. We totally set our hope on money. We talked about that last week. That's our power. That's our ability to do things. We count on it. It's our security. But instead, put our hope on God who richly provides us with everything to, could you all say that word? enjoy. Wait a minute. I thought God was against me having anything. I thought God wanted all my money. I thought, I thought we, no, where did we get that idea? Folks, God's not trying to take anything from you. God's not trying to keep you from enjoying this earth. When Jesus says store up treasure in heaven, he's not saying because everything on earth is bad. No, God gives us things to enjoy on this earth. He's just saying, not every penny, let, let's not put it all into stuff that doesn't last. Now, the stuff you use, I want you to enjoy. But you've got these resources. What are we going to do with them? They are to do good. I'm to do good with the resources that I have. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. Folks, this is what I'm talking about. When I'm using resources, I'm using money to bless others, to serve others, to share. Hey, that is, look at this, storing up you know what? It's almost like I did this on purpose, isn't it? Yeah, well, I did. Uh, storing up treasure for them. Well, hey, What's this word say? This is for us. You know, the wolf of Wall Street tells you, watch out for God. Watch out for the church. They're trying to get your money. It's what we want to get from you. It's what we want to get out of you. Now, whether a certain preacher or a certain church is doing that or not, don't attribute that to God. Because when God speaks to you about resources, it is for you. It's for themselves. The Lamb of Wall Street says, man, I'm all for you enjoying. My father gave it to you to begin with. I'm all for you enjoying it. But let's think about how some of this stuff we can enjoy forever and ever and ever. Now, the wolf of Wall Street is going to say, yes, store money in heaven, the unicorns will keep it safe for you till you get there. Yeah, the, the wolf of Wall Street is going to say, that. that's ridiculous, folks. It's about right here, it's about right now. It's about today's bills. It's about the problems you have with finances right now. It's about the power and the pleasure that money will get you right now. It's about advancing your agenda right now. Now, oddly enough, I should say, now here's how the lamb of Wall Street says just the opposite, but the but the Lamb of Wall Street's not saying just the opposite. he 's not saying that the money not has nothing to do with you or about you no he 's saying, "Hey, listen, I want it for you. I want you to have it. The difference between me and the Wolf of Wall Street: I want you to have it forever. I, I, want, you to, I want you to have treasure forever and ever. So yeah, a lot of it we 're going to use here, and it'll be gone, and that 's okay, but I 'm providing a way for it to last forever. So we're still back to the same question. Now the wolf of Wall Street, he's got a very loud voice and we feel it every day. We feel it with commercials. We feel it with bills. We feel it with our wants and desires. We hear, we feel the voice of the wolf of Wall Street. Do we trust the voice of the lamb of Wall Street? Every word he speaks on finances is for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, know that we would trust it money has such a lure on us such a hold on us and it it is a source of power it absolutely is a source of security and as we looked at last week that's why it can it can actually slide into that god spot in our lives and that is so evidenced by, we will open your word, and man, we want to know what you have to say about this subject and that subject, and we get interested in all kinds of things. But boy, when money's mentioned, so many believers today get stiff, do a little pushback. We don't want to hear what you have to say about money. We don't want you trying to take our money. Oh, that we would believe that what you have to say is for our well-being it is for our financial status both on this earth and in heaven help us believe and lord as we talk about money i am so grateful that we're never talking about how we buy your favor we're never talking about how we buy an answer to prayer we're never talking about how we buy a blessing we're never talking about how we buy our way into heaven lord i would imagine even in this room right now is somebody who thinks that's that's what you do you you have to be good enough you have to buy your way in you have to appease god Oh Lord, there's a great, great price that brings favor into my life, brings heaven into my life, brings a relationship with you in my life, but I don't pay one penny of that price. Jesus paid that price. Lord, if there's somebody here today that needs to turn from hoping in their goodness, hoping in their wealth, and place their faith in you, may today be the day that happens. May today be the day they become a child of God with the certainty of heaven in their future. Lord, if there's anybody here today who been listening to what we're talking about, watching what we're doing, and they're wondering if this is where they belong as part of a church family, would you tell them whether they belong here or not, whether they should be a part of this, this family we call the Heights? And Lord, if they should, tell them, tell them today. Let today be the day they become a part of this family. Become a part of impacting their community or world with Christ, with, with money, with knitting, with desires, with gifts and abilities, with, with anything and everything that will yield over to you for your touch and for your glory. Lord, in our finances, speak to all of us, guide us. What's, what's the steps we need to take in our finances? Is it a mentality? Is it an exercise? Is it the way we approach Lord, whatever steps we take, may they show we trust our Savior. We trust our God and King. And thank you for the added benefit that when I start to store it up there, it fills me with hope down here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.